Hello, and welcome back to the Little Ray of Health podcast. I'm your host and hormone health bestie, Emily Ray. I'm a certified holistic health and wellness coach, and I help women balance their hormones naturally using food as medicine. Okay, so in the last episode, I told you guys, obviously, I don't have an intro yet. And I was like, do you guys like the intro? Do you want one? Everyone, it was a resounding yes. So we do have an intro in the works. It won't be like some crazy catchy jingle, but it'll be something fun and something that like when you hear it, you get like hyped for the podcast. So I'm really, really excited for that. Just for some other little life updates and kind of what's going on behind the scenes, I've been a little bit absent on Instagram. I'm really focusing on the podcast for sure, keeping these episodes coming out Mondays and Fridays. But we just have a lot going on kind of in our real life, you know, off of social media. And it's been it's been hard to juggle both of it, both of them, along with the podcast and everything else. Long story short, we are selling our condo. So we have a condo here in San Jose in the Bay Area in California. We also have a house in Reno. It's like our getaway house. I love it there so much. It's 30 minutes from Tahoe. It's so beautiful. There's wild horses that roam the neighborhood. It just, every time I go, I don't want to come back home to California, even though I do love California. But we are selling our condo in San Jose, the commute to my boyfriend's shop. So my boyfriend, if you guys don't know, he has a like high-end automotive paint protection and coating business. So it's a brick and mortar shop, right? So we do have roots here in California. His business has been doing really well. He just signed a lease on a new building, a bigger building about twice the size. So he's been, we've been working in the new shop. I mean, not working, renovating the new shop while also being in the old shop. One of his main guys who kind of handles like marketing, Instagram, reception, answering the phones, like checking in clients and all of that. He is taking eight weeks off. Um, so I have stepped up and I am going to be the receptionist for the next probably eight to 12 weeks. So it's been a little crazy. That's where I spend my mornings from about 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. or 1 p.m. I'm there. Meanwhile, then I come back home. I'm trying to work on Instagram. It's just been a lot. So I am adjusting to that. So if you've been noticing that I'm kind of absent or MIA on Instagram, that is why. But I will be starting back up my YouTube channel, which I am so excited about. It's linked in my link tree on Instagram. Um, And I just have just a few videos on there. I haven't posted one in years. But my goal is to kind of start weekly vlogging on YouTube and posting more lifestyle content and things like that. So I won't be on Instagram stories as much, but I'll be posting weekly vlogs on YouTube. So I think that's going to be really fun. I'm not abandoning Instagram at like completely by by any means. I still love Instagram so much, but I'm really trying to like diversify my content. And instead of posting more reels or more story content, I feel like a weekly vlog, like a week in my life vlog would just be a really fun way to connect with you guys. Um, and yeah, it's one more thing to add to my plate, but I feel like it's easier. For some reason, the idea of weekly vlogging on YouTube seems easier than spending a bunch of time creating content for Instagram. So be on the lookout for that. I'll send out announcements and all of that good stuff. Talk about it more when it launches. But that's that's kind of what I have been going through lately. In the meantime, I feel like this podcast will kind of be not a diary, but I'll be sharing a lot more in the podcast, which brings me to I'm thinking about doing another masterclass. So I think the last Hormone Balance Masterclass I hosted was probably six months ago at least. 
I host a free Ultimate Hormone Balance Masterclass where I teach you kind of like how to use food as medicine to balance your hormones. It's about a 45-minute masterclass packed with tons of information. I'm thinking about launching that and doing one in a couple weeks. So if that's something you're interested in, like I said, it's a free 45-minute masterclass that kind of teaches you the intro or the basics to using food as medicine to balance your hormones, which is the main thing that I teach in my online course and which is what I am so passionate about because it's what changed my life and helped me heal and balance my hormones. So if you're super excited about a free masterclass, reach out to me on Instagram, send me a little emoji and let me know like, heck yes, I'm in. Let's do it. Okay. With all of that being said, let's get into the episode today. I wanted to do kind of a more casual episode, which is going to be a mix of like hormone, gut, health content, and also personal content. So it's going to be a Q&A. I am pulling questions from my Instagram. I do questions box on my Instagram story about once every couple weeks. And I get so many, I hate to be that girl. It's like, I get so many questions, but I get so many good questions from you guys. And I cannot, physically cannot answer them all in Instagram stories. So I feel like this would be such a good way, one, to answer these questions and have them be here forever versus Instagram stories that are gone in 24 hours. And two, get to answer them way more in depth versus on Instagram, I have like a one story slide and that's not enough for some of these questions. So I'm super excited to be a- to be able to answer them in more of a longer format. So let's get into it. And as usual, if I talk about brands, if I talk about things, I will link them in the show notes. I haven't looked at the questions yet, but usually I'll get the asked about supplements, things I use. These are usually either in my Instagram bio or in my highlights under the links and codes highlight or discounts, links and discounts, something like that. I have a full highlight of a bunch of things linked, but if there are certain specific things that I know aren't there, I will link them in the show notes for you guys. All right. First question, do you ever eat legumes? Honestly, not really. I used to. So I know I've shared this before. I was vegan for one year back in 2018, 2017 or 2018. I can't even remember now, but um, and I ate so many legumes, so many beans, like it was insane. And it actually caused a lot of digestive distress, along with being vegan and all of the like nutrient, vitamin, mineral deficiencies that I got from it, which really ruined my gut. Since then, I just have made the conscious decision to take legumes out. I still have peanuts on occasion. Peanuts are technically a legume and so are peas, but I really like peas. I like adding them to like my pasta or my rice or things like that. But other than that, I really don't eat legumes. Legumes are high in what they call lectins and anti-nutrients. And a way to think about this is animals, if they don't want to get eaten, they have a defense mechanism, which is running away. Animals have legs, they can run away. Plants, legumes, things like that, they don't have legs. They can't run away. So instead, in order to avoid getting eaten or getting eaten less, They contain things called anti-nutrients, which actually block the nutrient absorption, can disrupt the gut, and cause digestive distress, aka teaching us or trying to tell us, like, hey, don't eat me. Like, I don't want to get eaten. So it has these defense mechanisms, which I think is pretty darn fascinating. And obviously, if your gut is in good shape, you shouldn't have a huge issue uh, digesting beans every now and again. But for me, I just... I don't really ever crave them. They're not in a lot of the dishes I make, so I just don't really eat them often. Next question, 
They said, I see you have the aura ring. Thoughts, is it worth it? Oh my gosh, a hundred times. Yes, I love my aura ring so much. It is probably my favorite investment or like gadget or thing that I bought for my health. I have like the Gen 3 heritage. I don't know what the name is, but I have the older version. The ring I got, I got the silver one and it was only like $300, which I think is a really good price point for the amount of data and just the effect that this can have on improving your health simply by just being aware of your habits. It is so amazing to me. It is kind of like an accountability buddy, but it's technology, which kind of scares me. But I actually really love it. It tells you your steps. It tells you your sleep. It tells you your heart rate, your heart rate variability. It tracks my temperature. So I used to use a BBT thermometer. I I used the method fertility awareness method as a contraceptive method to prevent pregnancy, which involves tracking your temperature and charting your cervical fluid over the course of the month. I will do a whole episode on that, so stay tuned. But that's what I use, and the Aura Ring takes your temperature. So I don't have to take my temperature anymore first thing in the morning. This does it for me. And then all I have to do is go into the Natural Cycles app in the morning, sync the data, and you're good to go. I also love that the Aura Ring, you can put it on an airplane mode. So it's not emitting any EMFs, which is electromagnetic uh, frequency and radiation, um, which can affect so many different processes in your body can affect your sleep this is why I suggest turning off your wi-fi at night keeping your phone away from your head all of that good stuff but the aura ring you can leave on airplane mode all day long and all night long and it still tracks your data all you have to do is pop it on the charger to sync the data to your phone and you're good to go so I like I said this is probably the best investment I've ever made for my health and when anyone asks me if it's worth it I would say yes every time This next question is a question I get asked so often, Um, and maybe I'll record a whole episode on it, although I don't think that it needs a full episode. I feel like I can answer this here and now once and for all. The question is, good breakfast ideas, question mark, can't have eggs or gluten, and girl, me either. I haven't, I mean, I haven't had gluten in seven years, but lately I just, eggs give me the ick, so I haven't had eggs probably in a year as well. So I think, first of all, let's debunk this idea of breakfast foods. It's complete BS. Like breakfast foods are a scam. Breakfast is just like any other meal. In fact, I would argue it is the it is the most important meal. It sets the tone for your metabolism, for your blood sugar during the day. So it's so important that we're eating a breakfast with at least 30 grams of protein something that's filling, that's something that has some fat, some complex carbs, starchy veggies in there to keep us full all morning long. But like I said, it really is the most important meal of the day. And for breakfast ideas, I will eat anything for breakfast. In fact, most of the time I eat dinner leftovers for breakfast. Like it doesn't have to be these conventional breakfast foods. I mean, things like cereal, pancakes, waffles, pastries, muffins, bagels, those are all probably some of the worst things, the absolute worst things that you could start your day with. So I think if you just reframed your mindset around breakfast and breakfast foods and what they can or can't be, it gets so much easier. Like there are times I like to eat a burger for breakfast or steak or like I said, dinner leftovers. But if you are in the mood for something light and kind of more breakfast foodie, lately I've been doing chia pudding. So chia seeds with coconut milk, some collagen, 
And then I do berries on top. And then I will also do a side of breakfast sausage. So like chicken sausage is usually leaner, highest in protein. So I try to get about 20 grams of protein worth of sausage. And then my chia seed pudding and I'm good to go. And I love that so much. I haven't gotten sick of it yet. It still fills me up, but it still feels pretty light. I don't feel weighed down throughout the morning. This next question is a really important one, and I used to wonder the same thing, and I've gotten this many times, different iterations of this question, but basically what it comes down to is someone asking if you need to get your hormones tested, your blood tested, stool tested, and get test results in order to begin a healing treatment or a healing protocol. The answer is a resounding no, and in fact, I don't recommend testing right off the bat, Because if you feel like crap and if you feel imbalanced, chances are you are. So spending a bunch of money on testing to tell you something that you probably already know is a little bit pointless at the beginning. Now, what I do recommend is following kind of an anti-inflammatory diet or protocol along with, I mean, it's basically everything I teach in the Balanced Bay Blueprint, which is an anti-inflammatory diet, balancing your blood sugar, restoring your metabolism, really focusing on the foundations and the basic principles of good metabolic health and doing that for about three to six months and then seeing where you're at, what issues do you still have, what symptoms you might still have, and then getting testing. And I will tell you for 99% of my clients, after that six-month mark, they aren't even thinking about testing anymore. They feel amazing. They've healed a lot of things. They've gotten to the root cause And they no longer need to seek testing or any crazy treatments, really working on the basic foundations. Like I said, like drinking enough water, remineralizing your water, focusing on sleep, focusing on blood sugar, supporting your metabolism, maybe restoring your metabolism if you've been chronically dieting or under eating for years. Just working on the basics can make all the difference and can make testing unnecessary in the long term. I am not against testing. I will say that. I'm not discouraging you from getting testing. I just recommend following a foundational protocol for three to six months and then seeing where you're at, kind of getting your ducks in a row. Because like I said, if you feel like crap and you have all these things going on, chances are there are issues. But if you get tested right off the bat, it's probably just going to tell you so much information. You're going to feel so overwhelmed when I would bet that about 80 to 90 at least percent of those symptoms could be alleviated by following some kind of anti-inflammatory protocol for like six months or so. The next question is all about carbs. Is it better to reduce carb intake? And if so, why? I don't really have a lot of information, so I don't know how much you're reducing it by. Like if you're eating 300, 400 grams of carbs, I would definitely say yes. It's a good idea to reduce your intake. Uh, But if you're only eating 100 grams of carbs, then definitely don't reduce your intake. I also don't really endorse counting calories, tracking macros, things like that. It can be a really helpful tool to see where you're at. But long term, I don't recommend it. It's just not sustainable. It's the same reason I don't do meal plans for clients. Because if I give you a meal plan, I'm not really helping you. I'm enabling you, but I'm not teaching you how to essentially be your own coach in the long run. And that's my goal. My goal is to give you education and empower you and teach you all the tools and things you need to know to feel confident on your health journey and to take charge of your own health. And giving you a meal plan, giving you calories or macros to track 
does quite the opposite of that and actually makes you reliant on something outside of yourself. So back to the carb question, I really just recommend eating. I have, like I said, I've mentioned it before. If you sign up for my email newsletter, you'll get my meal template for balanced hormones, which will give you some good ways to use like basically eyeball portion sizes so that you're eating the right amount of carbs, fat, and protein at every meal without having to count calories. But I really recommend not going over about 30 to 40 grams of carbs at your meal. It's really detrimental for blood sugar to kind of overdose on carbs. We want to focus mainly on protein at our meal, so getting about at least 30 grams of protein, and then filling the rest of our plate with fiber, carbs, and fats. The next question says, I know everybody has different needs, but I'm curious, around how many calories do you eat? I will say that this is how much I eat. Every person is different. Um, And I also wanted to address this idea. I posted a meal a couple weeks ago. We were out on date night, and I had this beautiful steak, some sweet potatoes, or like these sweet potato puffs, and a bunch of other food. And someone sent me a message and said, oh my gosh, if I ate all of that, I would be fat. And I think it's a really interesting thing to say to someone. I I know that it's coming from a good place, but immediately, and I've done so much healing on this. I have like a past of disordered eating and things like that. But it makes me go, oh, like should I be eating less? But I'm in a place now where I'm like, oh my gosh, girl, like you, it shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't, like the people are like, oh, if I look at that, I gain weight. That's a sign that your metabolism needs some work. As a grown woman, you should be able to eat at least 1,800 calories. On average, usually about 2,200 calories, depending on your activity level. I don't really count my calories, like I said, but if I had to guess, I definitely fluctuate between like for sure 2,000 to 2,200 on average. Now, depending on my activity, sometimes it might be like 1,700, 1,800. Sometimes it might be as high as 2,500. But it all averages out to about 2,000 to 2,200, which is what a grown woman should be eating. I never recommend, even if you're dieting or trying to lose weight, burn fat, really don't recommend going below 1,700 or 1,650 for long amounts of time. It can really do some damage to your metabolism. Not permanent damage. Our bodies are amazing and resilient. And you can heal and restore your metabolism. It's one of the things I teach in the Balanced Bay Blueprint. But it will make it harder to lose weight in the future the longer you go on a low-calorie diet. So this whole idea of eat less, exercise more is just so detrimental. And if you are in that place, you're hitting a plateau, you're having a hard time losing weight, you're like, I'm already eating next to nothing and I'm working out so much, this is a sign that you really need to focus on giving your metabolism some love and really making your body feel safe again. The reason you can't lose weight is because your body's stressed. Your body's essentially starving, and our bodies want to keep us alive. They want us to thrive. They want us happy. So when you can't lose weight, it's not that your body hates you. It's quite the opposite. Your body is trying to keep you alive, and this is just a sign that there is something deeper. You need to restore your metabolism and just work on, you know, slowly getting your calories back up to a maintenance level. I feel like the next question kind of segues perfectly. The next question is, how do you develop the right exercise routine and diet or portions to regain your period? Now, I will say that most of the women, most of the clients I've worked with that are have irregular periods or a missing period, they're dealing with amenorrhea, usually it's because of excessive dieting or overtraining or chronic stress or a combination of all three. 
And I would say that getting your body back to a maintenance level, so eating at least 1,800 calories. If you're someone who's training a lot, working out, doing cardio, really dialing that back, doing some low impact like Pilates, you can keep strength training in there. I would just avoid HIIT and making your body feel safe again. I know this is something that I've talked about before, but I cannot stress it enough that if you're if you're missing your period, if you can't lose weight, these are all signs that your body does not feel safe. So it's holding on to excess weight. You have stress hormones going through your body or it shuts down your menstrual cycle. Your body does not feel safe. The best thing you can do is nourish your body by eating enough and moving in a way that promotes like vibrancy instead of depleting you completely. This next question is probably one of the most asked, I feel like I've said that so many times, but the most asked topics and that is bloating. Like I said, I'm going to have a whole episode on bloating and my top tips, but, and it is something that I cover in the Balance Bay Blueprint way more in depth, but I'll go ahead and just give you like two or three little tips. I feel like I covered some of these in my gut health and digestion episode, but for sure, my top tip is chewing your food. Ladies, men, if you're listening, chew your freaking food. Too many people I know, I watch them eat and I'm like, you didn't even chew that. You just, you just went for it like a seagull, like threw it back and ate it whole. It's so crazy to me. And I think we just live in the, like this fast-paced culture and we don't have a lot of time and we got to eat quickly and we're eating standing up. We're eating in our cars, on the go, while we're on a phone call. So I would for sure say chew your food. Chew it. Sit in silence or at least with minimal distractions, don't be on your phone. These are all things that are going to trigger like a cortisol cortisol release, which will stop up your digestion and can cause bloating. So I'd say sitting down, mindfully eating, like sitting outside if you can, taking just 10 minutes with no distractions to enjoy your food. I will also say this sounds so crazy, but when I started praying before I ate, And if you're not religious, I mean, you don't have to pray to like anyone in particular, but just sitting down and having a moment of gratitude for your food and the ability to buy this food or make this food, provide for yourself, where it came from, the farmers, all this stuff, it changed the way I ate. It just brings you to the present moment. It brings you back to reality. And I just feel like my food tastes better. I don't know. I swear there's a science to it. There has to be. But Eating mindfully, eating slowly, chewing your food. I said in my digestion episode to drink your food and chew your drinks, which basically means to chew your food essentially until it's a liquid to make it, to take some of the heat off your digestive system and let it just do its thing without having to like fully break down your food. That is what you have teeth for. That's what your saliva is for to get to work digesting that food. So I would say chewing your food, eating mindfully, And then third, just being aware of what you're eating. If you have gut issues, there could be certain trigger foods that are causing bloating. Um, If you're eating too much, if you are eating on the go or in a stress state, this can definitely be something that contributes to bloating. This next question is about my healing journey. So someone is asking, were you a lot more quote unquote strict when you were starting your healing process? The answer is yes, 100%. It was probably about three to six months where I was hardcore. I cut out, I mean, I still don't eat gluten and I eat dairy on occasion, but I was hardcore gluten-free, dairy-free. I also had to cut out nightshades 
um, and super spicy or acidic foods because my gut was in like such a bad place. So I didn't eat tomatoes or garlic or onions, bell peppers, eggplant, none of that. I still got to eat delicious food though. I mean, I still got potatoes and sweet potatoes, organic rice, quinoa, avocados, salmon, shrimp, meat, chicken, eggs. Like I also did cut out nut butter, I will say for a little bit, just because when I was vegan and being gluten-free, most of the options are almond flour things or if you're vegan and it's dairy-free, it's a lot of almond-based products. And I found that that was really irritating my gut as well. Nuts are pretty hard to digest and if you're eating them all day, every day, like I was, it definitely led to some issues. So I also cut out nuts and legumes. And then I slowly reintroduced what I wanted to add back into my diet. Some things I chose not to. Like I like I said in the beginning, like I still don't really eat legumes. I'm not drawn to them. They don't really do anything for me. I'm all good without them. But I did keep grains out for the most part. I do have organic rice on occasion, but I mainly, it just doesn't, agree with me all the time. Sometimes I get brain fog, sometimes I get headaches. So I try to stick to like more ancient grains like quinoa, which I thoroughly enjoy. I really like quinoa. So I don't feel, like I said, I don't feel deprived or like I'm missing out. If I go out to get sushi, I'm definitely eating the rice. But other than that, um, I was never a big rice girl to begin with. And luckily, I mean, I, like I said, I've been gluten-free for seven years. I was never a big bread girly. And luckily now, there's so many gluten-free options. If you are gluten-free tortillas and bread and donuts and pancakes and bagels and all of that. But I am, to my core, a sweet treat girly. I, I know I've said this before. I have like a square or two of dark chocolate after every single meal, including breakfast. Yes, I eat one or two squares of dark chocolate after breakfast. I'm not ashamed to say it. I eat dessert every single night. I love it so much. I make sure that I'm eating like gluten-free, healthier desserts that aren't super high in sugar or refined sugar. And I make sure I support my blood sugar. I don't eat them too close to bed. But there is nothing wrong with dessert. And if someone tells you you need to cut dessert out to heal, that is a lie. The next couple questions are personal questions. So one is, where am I from? I was born and raised about 20 minutes from where I live currently in Saratoga, California. So it's like a small town. It's about 30 minutes from Santa Cruz, which is on the coast in California. I really do feel so, so grateful to have grown up here. I live in such a beautiful area. It's like a gorgeous valley. There's hills, there's mountains. I'm 45 minutes from San Francisco, 30 minutes from the ocean, a four-hour drive from Tahoe. You know, I could drive to Southern California if I wanted to, or I could take a quick flight. I really feel like I am just so happy for where I grew up, and it's where I still am. Um, like I said, my boyfriend's business is here, and that is why we are still here. Just his business is doing so well. We have really no reason to leave, um, although his mom did move to Colorado last year, and so did his sister, and my parents just bought a home in Southern California, so we're at that point in our life where kind of our families are moving away. It's really sad. It's it's going to be really hard adjusting to that. Like I like I said, like I've grown up and I so complete transparency, I lived with my parents until I was 27. Yeah, until I was 27, I'll be 29 next month. Lived with my parents till I was 27. If you know anything about the Bay Area in California, it is insanely expensive. 
to give you an idea, in the Bay Area, in even if it's a two-bedroom and you have a roommate, you're looking at probably about $1,500 to $1,800 a month. I went to college really close to home, like literally in the same area as where I grew up. And I was lucky enough to be able to live with my parents. I did pay rent, but it was definitely not as much as I would have paid on my own. I am so grateful to my parents for allowing me to do that. It was a really good situation. I And I'm just, I'm really grateful. I love them so much. And I'm going to be really sad when they move down there. Um, I'm so used to living like 10 minutes from them. Like I said, I lived with them until about two years ago. And even now, they're only about 15 minutes away. We have family dinners really often. I'm really, I'm going to get choked up talking about this. I'm really close with them. And I wasn't growing up. They were probably, in my opinion, from my perspective, growing up, they were very strict. And I know it's because they love me. And I had friends, though, who didn't really have a lot of rules and friends that got Range Rovers for their 16th birthday and friends that didn't have a curfew. And I did. I didn't get a cell phone until I was like 16, which at the time, all my friends already had cell phones. So I, like I said, at the time, I kind of resented them and I was upset. I was that little angsty teenager. But now I am so grateful for the way that they raised me, the way that they taught me. Like I've worked since I was 15. I've had a job. I've done laundry. Like me and my sister when we were younger, probably starting at 10 years old, We were helping out doing laundry. We shared like nights doing the dishes. So these are all things that are so important to me now when I think about raising children, things that me and Daniel talk about like chores and their responsibilities and how we want to raise them. And I just, this is such a tangent, but I am just so grateful for how and where I was raised. So long story short, I was born and raised in Saratoga, California. And then I went to school In Cupertino, I went to Deanza Community College. That's another thing. I went to a community college. I didn't go straight to a four-year. I I had a lot of shame about this for a long time. In my head, community college was for, and this sounds so bad, for losers, right? For people that didn't get into college. And I remember kind of saying that to my dad and my dad went to community college actually and then he transferred to San Jose State which is also where I went to college but he looked at me and he looked upset he was like Emily I went to community college and then I went to San Jose State and now I'm like the president of a company do you think I'm a loser and I just felt so bad (laughs) it was this moment of like him humbling me and I was like oh my gosh no and so now when me and Daniel talk about college and schooling for our children. Do I want to homeschool? Do I want to do these things? I don't know if I want to homeschool. I would if I had to, but I don't think it's my ideal situation. Do I want to put them in public school? Definitely not. Definitely not. But maybe taking them to a charter school or a private school or something like that, a homeschooling co-op. But yeah, and just teaching them that they don't have to go to college. And now my parents didn't raise me that way either. But my dad kind of was like, well, it's important to go to college. And he told me that if I went to a community college and then a four-year, he would pay for it. And if I went straight to a four-year, I would have to pay for half. And I was like, "Mm, I don't really want to do that. And my degree will look the same both ways. So I went to community college and transferred to San Jose State. But I just feel like, not that I think college is a scam by any means, 
And I'm sure there are ways in which I do use my psychology degree, not in like a literal sense, like I've never needed it on a job application and now I work for myself, but I find psychology fascinating. I just don't want my kids to think that it's the only way. I really want to raise them to be critical thinkers, to do their own thing, maybe become entrepreneurs, you know. Their dad and mom are entrepreneurs. Me and Daniel are very soul-centered, like driven, passionate entrepreneurs. And if that's the route they choose, then amazing. And if they want to go to school, amazing as well. Wow, that was such a tangent. Anyways, next question. Okay, I'm going to answer like three more questions. The next one is, with natural birth control, they're referring to the fertility awareness method, which is what I've been practicing for five years now. Are you ever worried about getting pregnant when you're not ready? If you had asked me this in the first six months of starting FAM, fertility awareness method, I probably would have said yes. But now five years in with zero scares, I can confidently say no. I am not worried at all whatsoever. Not a cell in my body is ever worried. I know when I'm going to get my period. And here's why. I do have regular periods. So that is one of the most important things about the accuracy of the fertility awareness method um, is having regular periods. My, my period has been regular for three years for sure consistently now. I have ovulated on day 15 every month for three years consecutively. So now that I know my fertile window, it never changes. I know that I'm fertile five days before that, potentially. So at day nine of my cycle, I know we're in the red zone, red light, stoplight, like we're closed for business, I could get pregnant. So from day nine to about day 16, the night of day 16, I know that that's the time that I could get pregnant. So we either abstain from sexual intercourse or we do other things, but I am not worried. I am confident in knowing my cycle, knowing my, knowing my body, and knowing my fertility, and that is something I'm so grateful for that I obviously never had on birth control. I was so disconnected from my body. I had no idea what was going on. Little did I know. Nothing was going on when I was on birth control because my menstrual cycle was completely shut down while I was flooded with exogenous hormones. So I can confidently tell you that no, I am not ever worried now about getting pregnant when I'm not ready. Oh, I feel like this next question is so important. She says, to what should I focus on first, better eating or introducing workouts? I can't seem to do both simultaneously. And I think that is completely normal. I think trying to get healthy and start an exercise, like a new exercise routine or regimen at the same time is extremely overwhelming. I always go back to that quote of those who think they have to do everything will do nothing. It's just too overwhelming. And you're like, well, shoot, if I can't do both, I'm going to do nothing. So I would say for sure, focusing on your nutrition uh, and what you're eating. It is, in my opinion, the most important thing exercise comes after exercise is still so important but as long as you're active like if you can focus on eating better and trying to get some steps in throughout the day that is probably the best thing that you could do okay the last health question I'm going to answer health related question is tips for improving hair growth slash fullness coming off of birth control this is a question I get asked a lot also is what are the best supplements that I can take for hair growth I will tell you it's not supplements. 
It's not supplements. You don't have a supplement deficiency. That's not why you're losing your hair or it's losing its sheen or it's becoming thin or dull after getting off birth control or even let's say you've been off birth control for a while. This is a symptom of like sluggish thyroid and also just being undernourished, not eating enough and not having enough nutrients. I know I've also said this before, but the reason we eat, like it's not about calories, it's about nutrients, which is something that if you would have told this to me while I was counting macros, like eating sugar-free syrup and Pop-Tarts and all this crap that was so bad for me that, hey, it's actually not about calories. It's actually about nutrients. It would have, I would have been like, no, you're wrong. Look at my body. Look at what I look like tracking macros. And it's true. While I was tracking macros, I did probably have the best body, but I was eating next to nothing. I was for sure malnourished. I wasn't getting a period and I was not happy. Like you could see it in my face. I just was not happy. I was striving for this ideal that didn't exist. Um, so bringing that back to nutrients, the reason we eat is for nutrients. It's not for calories. So eating nutrient dense foods, these are whole foods, foods that don't need, uh, an ingredients list or a label produce, things that are in the perimeter of the supermarket, which is what I mentioned in my meal prep episode, really focusing on shopping the perimeter of the supermarket. So meat, produce, fruit, veggies, eggs, dairy, All of these things are going to be most nutrient-dense and the best for you, honestly. Okay, last question I'm going to answer is someone asks, face wash, question mark, sunscreen for under makeup. I will tell you right now, I haven't worn sunscreen in probably 10 years. Probably about 10 years. I, I'm going to, I bet dermatologists are going to come after me. Estheticians are going to come after me. I love you but I don't care and you won't change my mind. I don't wear sunscreen. I think the sun is so important and so good for us. And the idea that something that's been around longer than us is suddenly just causing cancer and all of these things, come on. Let's maybe think about the way that our diets have changed, the way that our lifestyles have changed. The sun hasn't changed. So it's us. And I will also say, this is really crazy, but when I cut out seed oils and inflammatory oils and I changed my diet, I stopped getting sunburned. Now, I probably haven't been sunburned in years, years. Now, if I'm going to be in the sun for hours at a time, which is very rare, I'll either wear a hat, um, wear more coverage than normal, or I will wear sunscreen, which I will choose like a mineral sunscreen. I know Beauty Counter has a great one. Pipette Baby also has another really good sunscreen. But for the most part, I, I, I just don't wear sunscreen. Now for face wash, I will also say, I definitely have mentioned this, I don't have a crazy skincare routine. My skincare routine is so minimal. I talked about this on my daily, like my daily routine habits episode. I use facial cleansing oil to take my makeup off. So it's the idea that like oil will then remove the other impurities like your makeup. It works wonders. I've been doing this for years now. My skin has never looked better. So I will say like if you're struggling with acne or with just skin issues, skin care is really, it's it's not the solution in 99% of cases. I will say it's not an issue with your skincare. 
A little caveat though, it could have something to do with your water. If you're washing your face with tap water, this could be contributing to acne or inflammation of the skin. So I would suggest getting, I have something called the filter baby and you can connect it to your sink and it filters your sink water. So you can wash your face with clean filtered water. It's amazing. The company is so awesome. I'll link it in the show notes. I'm obsessed. The last question I'm going to answer is, am I faith-based? And I will say this. Yes, I am. Praise Jesus. Amen. (laughs) All right. I am going to wrap this episode. Wow, this was really long. And looking down, we're at 40 minutes right now. I don't know what it's going to edit down to, but this is my longest episode yet. Let me know how you like this Q&A format, if I should keep doing them, if I should set up maybe a little spot in my Instagram where you can just submit questions to be answered on the podcast. But yeah, let me know. As always, I appreciate it so much. If you rate and review this podcast, it means the freaking world to me. I love you guys so much and I will see you in the next episode.